He always seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome back to this uh, episode of the Anthony Irwin Show. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined today by somebody who I consider legitimately the nicest person in my industry. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Um, I I don't say this often to people. Jonathan Sharks is on here, and he and I uh, met back at a summer league a few years ago, um, and he remained a friend of mine despite seeing me in Vegas and seeing the Vegas version of myself. <laughs> so, so I, you know, after that, you know, if you've seen that and you still want to stick around, then, then that is the ultimate judge of character. Jonathan, how are you holding up? I'm doing good. No, it is funny. I remember y'all were like, we're going to this like old Vegas. Like yeah. it was actually the seedier part of Vegas, which is actually saying something. <laughs> It was like but the TJ Maxx version of. It made the strip of... look super, super respectable. Whatever we were that time. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, yeah, we were. We were looking for dollar blackjack tables, if I remember correctly. It was like Adam, myself, Kirk. I think Doyle was involved. Mort was there, and uh, and that was back when Nate was was still uh, active with with us as well. And he he showed up, and you sat there and watched us make buffoons of of ourselves uh, trying to play blackjack on this table that like if i remember correctly it was a single deck black uh blackjack table for a dollar and you weren't allowed to see or show your cards so it was literally just you against the dealer and uh that's you weird. couldn't yeah you couldn't benefit from the hands that are around you and you like that's the only way that you can win in, in, in blackjack is if you kind of team up with the table to take down, take on the house. Uh, so we didn't, none of us fared very well. None of it didn't, it didn't go well for any of us. Um, well, that's why I don't, I don't gamble personally. Yeah. You know, I, I, I should learn my lesson at some point. My, what my wife would love for me to learn that lesson, but, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, so today we are not going to talk about Vegas this entire time. Uh, the Lakers just got spanked by the Denver nuggets the other night. Uh, now, you know, reading the tea leaves and getting some information here, we should be getting some kind of an update on Anthony Davis, I would imagine, fairly soon. I'm sure uh, Frank Vogel is going to be asked about it after the game tonight, especially given the fact that Rudy Gobert is going to be playing against the, the Lakers and people are going to be saying, hey, that, that, that superhero that you have at center would probably help for matchups like this. When do we think he's going to be around? Um, so we'll see about that information. This is about as low as I think the Lakers have been. And I said over the weekend, I don't think Anthony Davis coming back fixes this to the extent that the Lakers need to be fixed and compete with the title contenders in the NBA. And that's kind of where I want to start with this, uh, Jonathan, is is because, you know, Lakers fans and fans of, of singular teams, uh, you know, they grade on a scale of their expectations just with that team alone. But I always like talking to people who cover the league at large because you have more context as to like what a team needs to do to be able to compete with those legitimate title contenders. So do you think Anthony Davis coming back is enough to get the Lakers up to that top 
you know, the upper echelon of teams where, whether it's Golden State, Utah, Phoenix, Brooklyn, though Brooklyn's going to take a step back without Kevin Durant here. Um, do you think there's, there's enough around LeBron, Russ, and AD to, to figure this out? I mean, there's so many different levels to that question. Yeah. I mean, one, is Davis going to be healthy? How much can you really count on him? What version of Davis are you going to get? Hard to answer that question. But at this point with AD, it's almost like you kind of got to see it first, right? Yeah. You got to see him be healthy, play consistent, play with high energy for like a month or so if we can really believe in it. Mm-hmm. So there's that part of it. Um, I do think it was right because right when AD went down is when they started shifting LeBron's minutes down to play more of the four and the five. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see the rotation basically where it's LeBron and AD are your centers. Yeah. We haven't seen that much this year. Yeah. Yeah. Dwight coming in here or there pretty much when AD was there, they were still giving Dwight and Deandre a ton of minutes. That was never going to work. Mm-hmm. And I, so I do think if AD can come back at a hundred percent, which is about the biggest if in the world at this point, I mean, hard to say how big of an if that is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we always see. It's, it's, it's like the, the question that the Lakers have basically been facing for like 15 straight months. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, after the bubble, it's basically been, all right, what version of, of AD are they going to get? Is he going to be kind of hobbled? Is he going to be a hundred percent? Is he going to be in shape? Is a question mm-hmm. that that they're that they've had to ask, I think, more often than they would have liked. Um, yeah, it's it's that's honestly the starting point of this. If AD is the because he's been he's I mean this entire Lakers team is incredibly polarizing, but but I the way that he was playing and uh, what we saw from him earlier this season was incredibly polarizing. I think there were some Lakers fans who were saying that. You need a lot more from this guy if he is going to, you know, ever kind of take the baton from from LeBron James. You would think that year nineteen or whatever year we're in would would be around that time, um, and yet we didn't quite. I didn't think we saw enough there. And then some people are saying, well, you know what? Maybe trade the guy because he's just not going to get it again after the after the bubble. Maybe we saw the best basketball from him. What did you think of Anthony Davis pre injury this season? Yeah, it's funny. My friends who are Lakers fans have been sending me AD trades. Like that, I guess that's common in like the <laughs> it's world. Crazy, I guess. Yeah, that's the it's one like, guy I, totally I haven't really it. put into a trade. I think I did it once, jokingly, with uh, Aaron, where we made I made like a Ben Simmons AD trade, but that was mostly just being funny, and I wanted to see if I can get Aaron to spit up on the show. He did, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely. I remember talking to someone before the season and I was asking them, do you think AD sees himself like, man, Giannis kind of took the league by storm last year. Giannis Mm. kind of took the crown as the best big man. Do you think AD is like motivated by that? to like put himself back in that conversation. And he just said, no, (laughs) he goes, I don't think so. And he goes, I just feel like AD is very, like a lot of clutch guys, he's a very high opinion of himself. Doesn't really feel like he needs to prove himself. Mm. And you kind of talked about like the baton thing, and it's like I'm not sure it's going to happen now. I, I it yeah. does almost it's so bizarre. It almost does feel like instead of AD making LeBron's life easier, LeBron is actually the one making AD's life easier. And somehow instead of AD 
being here to let LeBron chill in the regular season. Somehow it's flipped to where LeBron's yeah. here so that AD can chill in the regular and season. I guess, It's yeah. bizarre. It's really bizarre. And I, I really understand the frustration level with Davis. And mm-hmm. I understand how hard it can be to watch and how often he – I think I was telling you about this. He must have the record for most games started but not finished, right? Like it has yeah. to – if that's that is trips to the training room anywhere or like, yeah like games he slept, played 12 minutes then come back in the game four he must have the record for that mm-hmm. and with ad it just feels like you're kind of locked you're kind of locked in with him because he's not he when he's at his peak there's pretty much you know he's a top five player but he's yeah. not at his peak very often and you're just kind of hoping all the cards line right to when the playoffs come as he's in shape he's healthy and to turn it all the way back around I always thought the best version of this team would be AD and LeBron at the five and then a few buyout guys because it does feel like the rest of the roster is not up to snuff anyways. Mm -hmm. So I do think if AD comes back, him and LeBron are playing the five and then they can add one or two more players, then you might have something. But there's like two or three ifs in a row. Mm -hmm. But I do think there is a path from here. We'll see if they can take it. I do think there's a path though. Yeah, I think that's basically where I'm at too. Is that like if I had to if I had to wager on it, I wouldn't take the bet because it's such a specific path that they're they're you know they're they're basically walking the tightrope on the on the Grand Canyon, right? Where if they take one wrong step here, you know everything can really kind of fall apart. And some of these things, by the way, are kind of beyond your control. Like every every time I see somebody. Uh, you know, th- there's that one guy who I guess traverses the Grand Canyon. You know, he, he did it um, on live TV. And when I was watching that, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what happens if a bird like just takes a bad path here? Like, this is <laughs> there's some variables you would here think that... that you would definitely. Think that. <laughs> there's some variables here that I'm not willing to risk that for. You know, and and I think here with the Lakers, they're they're kind of traversing. The, tr- the Grand Canyon, and if LeBron pulls a hammy, or if yes, or if or if you know Anthony Davis doesn't come back a hundred percent, or if Russ just never gets the step back that he has seemed to have lost this season athletically, uh, if those things that are that can kind of be beyond the Lakers' control don't play out right, you're falling down the tra- the Grand Canyon, and 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 I just think, you know the things that they have to do, like you mentioned, adding a player here or there, Eric Pincus wrote an article today for, for Bleacher Report. And he was saying that, you know, the Lakers have interests in guys like Jeremy Grant and guys like Miles Turner and maybe Harrison Barnes. I think he also mentioned Ben Simmons, but a more realistic trade target or some more realistic trade targets with THT in the 2027 first is Terrence Ross and Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but that is not getting me across the Grand Canyon. Those guys there, if, if you're turning Taylor Horton Tucker, basically your only movable contract and young prospect with, with, um, you know, legit upside and your only first round pick that you're going to be controlling for the next basically decade or so. If that's what you're getting back is Terrence Ross or Eric Bledsoe. I just don't think that's enough to get it done. I think it has to be like, you know, you, you, maybe uh, the Detroit Pistons or the Indiana Pacers or the Sacramento Kings are just high enough on Taylor Horton Tucker that you convince them to move off of either one of the two wings, Grant Barnes or or Turner, 
and and you kind of pick it up from there and i just you know again you're talking about such a specific scenario here that plays out that gets them back in the t- into that title contention conversation i just it, it's hard for me to really foresee it as a as a likely outcome the rust thing is okay, it, oh go ahead go ahead friggin friggin to rust i would say yeah i when i'm when i'm talking about adding a player i'm thinking like a Gary Harris type on a buyout because mm. you're right. Yeah. I don't see this team having actual trade assets. Like, yes, we'll talk about Horton Tucker too in a second. Yeah, he might have some potential, but he has no trade value. He's not playing well enough to where someone can yeah. be like, "Oh, I, I must have THG on my roster." And I think like the most important point you made there is just you know LeBron is third in minutes of the league. Like that is insane. Like he's yeah. right behind. I'm looking at the list right now. So it's Van Vliet, Harden. LeBron, Tatum, Durant, and guess what? Durant just sprained his knee. Like, you have these really old guys playing mega, mega minutes, and that's kind of the box they put themselves in. Is they've really got no choice to play LeBron thirty-seven minutes, and yeah. then he brought all these guys in to help them, and that's just not happening. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's been a cycle here with LeBron where he goes through a tough regular season or or a tough like year-long season. And uh, at the end of it, says to himself, heading into the offseason, man, I really don't want to do that again. I really don't want to carry that kind of burden again. And he, like, he targets these players who can carry a burden for him theoretically, but don't necessarily add to, like, they don't help optimize him. So it kind of winds up being one or the other. And and it's a really difficult way to to build a team with LeBron on it where you're optimizing maybe 15 minutes or so of game time a night. You're, you're, you if you're, if you're concerned about the burden that he's carrying out there and if the type of players that you're bringing in, aren't the kinds of players who help LeBron be the best version of himself, then none of the 48 minutes over the course of a game are, are, are optimized for what the Lakers are trying to do. Um, do you think, it's always difficult to try to analyze who is making what decisions basically from what Rob Polinka has said. And then from some of the conversations that you have to people around the Lakers, it's a 50 50 kind of thing where LeBron and AD have their input and Rob Polinka is, is uh, also going to have his vote. And, and I would say it's pretty clear. I think at this point that the off season that the Lakers just had was not ideal if we're putting it lightly. And I'm wondering if the way that this has played out with LeBron as like a pseudo GM or Anthony Davis and LeBron as like pseudo GMs, if because of the way that this season is playing out for the Lakers, if this kind of puts the brakes on that interest from stars of, all right, not only do I want to be a superstar here, but I also want to call shots as, as we build this roster. That's a good question. I mean, I think you look at the Nets too, where Katie's mm-hmm. the pseudo GM. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's less about like ultimately optimizing versus what's going to make me most comfortable. I think that's what they really care about. Is like what's going to make me most comfortable. What's what like what are the perks of this job that I have? I mean, a good example of that is. Uh, the Blazers have this guy in a two-way contract named Kelgen Blevins, mm-hmm. who just happens to be Dame's cousin. 
Mm. And if you look at Blevins' college stats, there's really nothing in his college stats that says NBA player. Yeah. But, you know, it's Dame's cousin. Uh, yeah. Steph's brother-in-law is on, his, on the Warriors. He's actually a pretty decent player, Damian Lee. But mm-hmm. it's the same kind of thing. It's just – I think it's just more about I want to be comfortable. I want what I want. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not necessarily the ultimate best decision – I want to do what I've earned the right to be comfortable and do how yeah. I want to do it. I guess I'm I, I'm finding a difference here between a two way player and then Damian Lee's role on on the Warriors and like Russell Westbrook. True. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so it's, it's you know I, I guess I guess for me, you know I I don't think this is ever going to be the case with LeBron. I think LeBron just has too much political capital across the league because of clutch, because he's LeBron, because clearly if LeBron shows up at your organization, you at least have an outside chance at being in the, in the title conversation, right? That's you, you're, you're probably going to make the playoffs so long as he stays healthy and you're probably going to win more than half of your games so long as he stays healthy. So like those are trade-offs that I think every GM would happily make to have LeBron in their organization. However, if the decisions that LeBron is helping you make are making that very difficult, you know, if, if, if he, cause all reporting points to LeBron was, was very invested personally in trading for Russell Westbrook. Um, now I've heard that, that Rob Palenka was also in on it. And like, if Rob wasn't in on the trade, it wouldn't have happened. But, um, Rob had a trade kind of figured out for Buddy Heald. LeBron said, no, and Russ, uh, behind the scenes, according to The Athletic, was really pushing hard to be a Laker. And all of these things kind of came together at the last second. And here they are with, the, here the Lakers are with, with Russell Westbrook now. And I kind of wonder if with the next kind of generation of stars, if decisions at that high a level are, are being made, how much their input is going to matter compared to, you know, like I didn't, J.R. Smith's like brother was with him in New York. Yes. Right? Uh, and happen. yeah. And, and so like, but those are, those are small roles that those, that those, you know, people are, are, are playing in the organization there. But when it's at this kind of level where Russ, you know, trading for Russell Westbrook, not only potentially puts this season at risk, but it's not like the Lakers are going to be that much more flexible when he's a $47 million albeit expiring contract next year, like at some point, I wonder if, if Rob Polinka kind of says, all right, that didn't work out. Let's rethink how we're, how, how we're doing this, uh, how this equation works between you, AD and me talking to LeBron. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair to LeBron, he's not the only NBA superstar to push all in for Russell Westbrook trade and have him yeah. blow up in his face. Like he literally <laughs> just saw it happen in Houston two years ago. Yep. And that's, what's funny about this is like, Harden did the LeBron thing. The results were bad. He's like, you know, what? I'm just going to leave now. This is kind of a disaster. <laughs> I'm just going to get out of here. <laughs> and then the Nets thing, I mean, that's kind of obviously a lot of unforeseeable, unforeseen things. I mean, yeah. I think what it really comes down to with these guys is, and your GM is, you have to have a GM who can finesse these dudes. Yeah, mm-hmm. You have to have a GM who can like talk them off the ledge. Yeah, and I think maybe that more than anything is probably where the game is going. You look at who the Ma- so the Mavs, um, their new GM is Nico Harrison from Nike, mm-hmm. 
And it, yeah. the word is pretty much we hired this guy so he can talk to people, he can relate to people, mm-hmm. he can finesse them basically. Like really, the job of a GM is besides the draft, most of GMing is finessing, right? It's it's yeah. finessing people, getting them to do what they needs to be done, talking them out of bad decisions. And that's what it comes down to. Really. Or into <laughs> bad decisions. Yeah. It's like, you, you, I mean, LeBron's going to want what he wants, and KD wants what he wants, and Steph wants what he wants. Is you have a GM who can build a relationship with these guys and convince them it's not going to work? Mm-hmm. It's fine. Like the Westbrook thing. Like, I don't know anyone who said that's a good idea. I, got, I don't remember anyone being like, wow, that was a brilliant move by LeBron. Everyone was like, this is not going to work, and it hasn't. Like, yeah. So you need your GM to be like, hey, man, let's talk about it. Let's, let's use our heads here. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you know that based on my mentions, there are a whole bunch of people angry at me for saying this isn't going to work out. So really? Someone out. Like, so I, well, I think also, like, we're, we're talking about the difference between, you know, fans and, and analysts, right? Like, most analysts are looking at, at that and saying, um, well, no, neither of those guys are going to want to give up the ball late in games neither of those guys are have like set screens for much of their career um and neither of those guys really space the floor for each other so like that's offensively it's going to be really difficult and then defensively like russ has not been a very good defender in in a general sense there are some specific ways that i think he's still pretty good but in a general sense he's not very good defensively so if you're 44 million dollar player isn't an ideal fit on one end of the court and then isn't particularly good on the other end of the court. Like that's an, that analysis is pretty basic stuff. Like that's not, that's not, that's not neuroscience there. And yet See, that, it, that's what I'm wondering. Like did Palenka ask LeBron about this? Like what did that conversation look like when LeBron came in with this idea? That's yeah. what I'd love to know is what, how that went. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you think, do you, have you seen anything from Russ this year that would indicate to you that this might turn around? He's taking fewer shots, which is funny because it still feels like he shoots way too often. Well, because the shots taking... that he's taking are so painful sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but he is taking six fewer shots than he did even in Houston two years ago. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, he is trying a little bit. He is somewhat trying. And I think more than anyone on the team, Russ will benefit from a LeBron AD center rotation. Mm-hmm. It was just they were playing those centers with the with the big three and they just had no chance of working they are basically punting games left and right yeah. and right when they make the switch to lebron at the four or five ad goes down yeah i mean the thing if i was a lakers fan what i would hold my hat on i would support his interview lebron ad and russ without the centers is like plus 10 this year like 200 mm-hmm. minutes that could work maybe i think in that scenario, you're playing a spread court. If Russ keeps shooting fewer and fewer times, and, and he has more room to attack the basket, and there's other guys to get defensive pressure off him, I think it could work. Probably won't, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, I, I think, you know, to go back to AD, it all depends on his buy-in level because when he plays center, sometimes you just kind of watch him and his head is just kind of hanging off to the side. And there's a lot of walking with his shoulders kind of slumped yeah. on the court. It, it, it's not, it's not something that I think he particularly enjoys doing. And, and I think at this point of his, of, of his career, he's saying, no, I won a championship. I had that run in the bubble where, you know, I played some of the best basketball player that has, 
some of the best basketball that has ever played. Like he was doing mm-hmm. some insane stuff for, uh, sure. for somebody his size. And so he's saying, yeah, like that was my coming out party. We're good now. And, and I kind of think sometimes that's the way that he's looking at the rest of his career potentially. And if that is the way he's approaching this, or if that is how he approaches playing center alongside or in, in those Russ LeBron um, minutes lineups, then I don't think it's going to work, but you know, I will also say that, you know, LeBron, like, all right, tell me if you think I'm, I, this is kind of, you know, tinfoil haddish on my part, but LeBron playing the five and the stuff that he says after the game at, in games that he plays the five at, you know, a lot more than at the four, it feels kind of like a subtweet, right? Like I haven't it, seen what he's been saying. What has he been saying? He, like the, he was asked, like the, the most direct version of this that actually made me laugh out loud when I saw the quote was somebody asked him, you know, how does your body feel like after playing primarily uh, center minutes? And he was like, I feel great. I feel fine. That was easier than playing power forward. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, huh. I wonder who he might be directing this <laughs> passive aggressively <That's> at. Funny. <laughs> and, you know, it's that was the most direct version of it. But he's had a couple other kind of moments where he where he talks about that. And he says, you know, he said that playing the center has kind of reinvigorated him. He He feels more energetic on both ends of the court. And so, again, it feels like by playing the center, he's kind of sort of nudging Anthony Davis and like, hey, like it's it's actually really fun if you play it this way. It's really like playing playing the center and having a more open court is really really fun. I promise, Anthony. Um, it's just a matter of <laughs> whether whether Anthony uh, Davis is buying what LeBron is selling. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't surprise me for sure. LeBron is the king of the subtweet. I mean, no question, no question about that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like with AD sometimes it's just locking in. Right, mm-hmm. like, are you gonna lock in? I'll notice this being in Dallas guy with um with Lucas sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you can see him. There are some games where he comes out. He's not really the energy isn't there, and then eventually what happens is he'll start whining about foul calls. Yeah, and then he gets pissed off, and then all of a sudden he's just draining his jump shots. His handles way crisper. He's not yeah. turning it over anymore. And it's like, okay, this guy's here to play basketball now. And like, it does kind of feel like AD is like that too a little bit, and that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't always lock in. And of course, the problem with that approach is when you don't always lock in is you're just burning games. And that's cool when you lock in. But that AD last year didn't lock in all season. And right when he wants to lock in, he gets hurt. And now the whole season's totally cooked. And that, yeah. that, that's the problem with the way he does things. So I, I, it feels like Anthony Davis kind of has an antiquated kind of definition of what playing center in 2000, now 22, uh, is actually like, right? Where where I think he still thinks it's like the 80s or the 90s where your center was this big, hulking, slow person who you had to box out constantly and you had to lean up against to make sure that post position isn't something that you're giving up. And that, like, Jokic does exist and Gobert is a giant human being as well. And there are some centers around. Embiid is huge. So there are some people where having a few extra pounds is is smart right it would make sense if that's the adjustment that you're making to potentially playing the center position a little bit more this year um however like if if anthony davis is playing the center what makes him special at the center position is that he can move like a guard like the what makes him what makes him so special at center on both ends of the court 
is that at any given moment on defense, he can guard basically one through five. And, and on the other end of the court, he's going around all of those big hulking bigs. And, and I think, you know, he, he thinks he's a shooter and, and all of that. I don't think that's quite the case anymore. But, but I, I just think bulking up the season and trying to play at a slower pace this year really kind of threw him off. And I'm wondering if you kind of noticed some of that same stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I would say it's a couple things. One, he definitely bulked up, seemed a little slower. Mm-hmm. And I think what it really comes down to for him with playing center, it's less the big names you're talking about because like guys get up for these matchups. Yeah. It's more when you got to play New Orleans mm-hmm. and Jonas Valanciunas is posting you up hard and you're going to win anyways. And you're like, I don't want to deal with this. This is pointless. <laughs> like, I don't want to have this guy elbow me in the face. A couple, or Nurkic in Portland, right? It's like, yeah. It's the constant wear and tear of like big guys who aren't even that good. Just mm-hmm. attack your body physically. And he's like, I, I'd rather not deal with this. Like someone else can deal with this nonsense. I just want to float. <laughs> two, Dwight, I think. Get in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. DeAndre, I don't even care. Whatever. And then two, it's um, when you're playing center, you just have to be more engaged mentally in the game, right? You have to call out all the coverages. You're mm-hmm. the quarterback of the defense. And I just think AD likes floating. Like he loves to just float through a game. When he's playing the four. He can flow through the game, get to his spots, play weak side help when he wants to, stay on the mm-hmm. perimeter. It just there's just there's less like energy required. Like center center is a high energy position, and I think AD yeah. likes to float. I think that's what it really comes down to. I think he likes to float. I don't think he particularly loves the grind. I mean, that's not exactly. I'm not going on a ledge here. Like he doesn't love the grind. He likes to float. He just wants to get to the yeah. playoffs. And he's like, if I could do as little as possible and tell him, it'd be fantastic. And like, mm-hmm. and two, he's hurt all the time, right? Like, he's probably looking at it like, I'm already hurt constantly as it is. Why am mm-hmm. I going to put my body under more scrutiny, more pressure? And I, I thought that was um, very telling when he signed that contract and they're asking me about it. He's like, I'm walking in most years like, yeah, way I play? Shoot, yeah. I'd be hurt at some point. <laughs> he said that. <laughs> He did. I that was he did. <laughs> you know what? Shouts to him for being honest, though. Um, all right, let's wrap up here on a couple things. So we do have the uh, most embarrassing sports story moment. That'll be at the end of this thing. I do want to talk about Taylor Horton Tucker because you discussed. You know, we kind of alluded to the fact that he doesn't have trade value right now. Um, but if you're just looking at him as a prospect, if you're like, what does a situation? in which Taylor Horton Tucker flourishes in, uh, what does that look like? Because it's, I feel like it's the opposite of the situation that he's in right now yeah. with the Lakers. I would look at him like a backup point guard. That would be mm-hmm. the role I'd want. If I was trading for Taylor Horton Tucker, it'd be under the idea, he's going to run my second unit, and then maybe I can find minutes for my starters, but I'm going to let him play 25 minutes with the ball in his hands, let him do his thing. I think he can get to the rim. He can find the open shooters on the drive. The defense collapses. He's pretty skilled in that respect. And he's a very young player, obviously. And then maybe if he can succeed in that smaller role, I might grow him into something bigger. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be the idea. Of course, the problem is, is there's guys on every team who can do that with. It's just mm-hmm. it's hard to find a spot where a guy can get 20 minutes a night with the ball in his hands. Because yeah. in, and even the worst team in the NBA – there's three or four guys who want the ball in there, who need the ball in their hands. So it's finding that role for him. And I think mm-hmm. that's what makes it hard to trade for him is because you got to trade for him 
with a spot that he can do his thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the other way that I was looking at it too, cause I agree with all of that. The other way that I was looking at it too, is if the selling point is upside, that's fine, but he's also already been paid, you know? So, so yeah. you, you're not, you're not, you're not buying uh, low on somebody who, uh, you know, might have a, 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 you know, might eventually exceed that cost or whatever. And maybe you sign him to a more team friendly deal early on, but he's, you know, a 10 million plus dollar player from here on out. I just like, well, I mean, what's really it, hard. Yeah. You trade for him and he blows up. He has the player option. I believe he'd be unrestricted, right? Cause he's already had a yeah. second contract. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. also really difficult too. Yeah. So it's the worst of both worlds. You, you're, <laughs> there is no, in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, there is no there is no kind of long term commitment that you know you're going to get paying off, right? Like when you when you draft a, a a rookie, if you draft an incoming player and that player blows up, you still have like six seven years of team control, basically, unless they want to just completely forego all financial commitments and really throw themselves to the wolves really early in their career, which no player ever does. Um, that's that's not the case where you know yes Taylor Horton Tucker is 21 years old and you can look at him as as a player that that might eventually uh grow out of whatever role that he's assigned to right now but when he does that more teams are going to be interested in the guy and they're gonna have a lot of opportunity only in a couple years to be able to go out and get him so I I, I think, I think with, um, yeah, go ahead. Just about THT. Here's a good example of this. You were talking about a THT for Terrence Ross trade, which mm-hmm. I would do. I would think I'm not giving you a pick for that. If I'm LA, I'm just doing a straight up trade. I would yeah. trade TH for Terrence Ross right now. Problem is for Orlando, they've got Cole Anthony, yep, Jalen Suggs, yep, Franz Wagner, RJ Hampton. They're already locked into four guards who need the ball. They're already going to figure out which one of those guys they want to prioritize. Right, they've mm-hmm. already like RJ Hampton is pretty much out the mix right now because they already have three guys ahead of him who they want to prioritize. Yeah. So you bring in THT, it's just one more cook in the kitchen. And this is Orlando, like the worst team in the league. And they've got four <laughs> guys probably ahead of them in the, in the pecking order. Yeah. That's what makes, makes it difficult. And also four guys who probably belong ahead of him in a pecking order, too. You know, like Suggs definitely does. He's a recent lottery pick who you need to see what you have in him. Cole Anthony, same kind of thing. You know, if you if you want to kind of pick nits here and and say that THT is third on that on that list, then okay, like I'm willing to have that conversation. But but if you're trading for somebody who you're going to be spending not just cap room on, but also you know development time and trying to figure this thing out on on a guy, and at best he's third in terms of uh, mouths that you're trying to feed, or fourth if you're including Wagner. Um, like that's that's really difficult. That's really 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 difficult. Like you're saying, uh, to commit to. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up with a little bit of fun here. Um, as as everybody listening knows, my you know most embarrassing sports moment was caught on camera, and Harrison got that Euro stumble. Oh, I don't I don't think so. I've not heard this story. Oh yeah, no, it's it's basically you could set your watch to a certain time like once or twice a week that Harrison's going to send out a clip of me missing a layup out there in Vegas. I think it was the same trip. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I'll look at, I'll look at his Twitter feed to find that sounds hilarious. Well, it, it, his, uh, his now wife made a documentary to it and made it like, basically <laughs> it's like, a, 
hilarious. It's a play on the the last dance. I think they called it the last prance. It's it's pretty funny stuff. It's 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 pretty good. Um, so that's my kind of most embarrassing sports moment, and it's blown up. And I'm trying to even out the ratio of my embarrassing sports moments that are out there on the internet compared to everybody else's. So, <laughs> Jonathan, do you have do you have a uh, a most embarrassing sports moment? I've got a, I've got a good one for you. All right. So, um, so first off, I guess the background. I'm my mom's from the Philippines, so I'm half Filipino, but mm-hmm. I favor my dad. So it's, I'm really tall. I'm six foot four. Mm-hmm. So very few people are like you're Filipino. Like I don't really think so. Like, that doesn't happen. Like when I say people are always surprised. Yeah. But I'm half Filipino. So in college. I'm in the Filipino Students Association School, and Filipinos are very big into basketball, even though mm-hmm. we aren't very talented. So I'm playing with the FSA team, and like sometimes we would do tournaments against other colleges in the state of Texas, like Filipino basketball tournaments. Mm-hmm. So we'd all go on a bus to like San Antonio and play all the FSAs from around the state, basically. Uh-huh. We had this tournament, I think it was in San Marcos. It's pretty there. amazing that you went from being a ringer in college to working at the ringer. That's amazing. I was, but see, I wasn't a ringer though. I was oh. not Filipino. That's, here's where it gets tricky or funny at least. So we go there and then the organizers look at me on the layup line and they're like, come on, man. Like you're not <laughs> Filipino. Like, come on. I'm like, no, no, no. Like my mom's Filipino. Like I, yeah. they're like, we don't believe you. Like that's just, we're not gonna let you do this. And I said, look, we can call mom right now. Yeah. And she can talk in Tagalog to you and like, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. And they're like, okay, after the game, I'm going to call your mom and see what's oh going on. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And then we play the game and I don't play well. I have like four points. It's like a yeah. Saturday morning. I'm like kind of hung over. It's, it was a bad game for me. <laughs> and I'm just not playing well. And then we, I think we lose after the game. I'm like, I see the organizer. I'm like, well, do you still want to call my mom? And he just goes, Nah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're Filipino because you're not very good. That's amazing. So my story for you. That's <laughs> no, we're good. No damage it's all done good, here. Bro. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's an incredible story. Yeah, I, I meant that. Like, I meant I, I wasn't calling you a ringer. I'm saying that that like people looked at you as a ringer, and now you now work for you write there for you go, the ringer. Yeah. Um, which is a perfect segue to plug anything that you want to plug before we get you out of here. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually just started a podcast with Kyle Mann. Um, it's on the Ringer NBA show. Mm-hmm. We're on the Tuesday slot. It's called Upside High. We talk about young players, the upcoming draft. So not a ton of Lakers talk, obviously. But <laughs> like, yeah. if you're talking about a lot of young players around the league, like we talked about RJ Barrett last week. We're talking about the Grizzlies this week. So it's kind of this mix of, young NBA players and then draft talk and then mm-hmm. kind of just that whole milieu of things. And so it's every Tuesday on the ringer NBA show. Look, if LeBron pulls a hammy, Lakers fans are going to start paying more attention to the draft is all I'm saying. <laughs> How does so, that work? Do y'all have the picks though? Or no, they don't, they don't have a first, but like that, what they have been pretty uh, active with and pretty good at is buying like second rounders or, like in Austin Reeves' case. The great Austin Reeves. Exactly. The MVP candidate, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but he uh, he had conversations with the Lakers and with other teams and basically like 
you know, I think there were, I think Detroit was thinking about drafting him and he actually said, no, please don't draft me. I would like to be able to pick my destination after the fact. And so the Lakers had done their research on this guy and told him, Hey, if you make it out of the draft, we have a two way uh, deal waiting for you. And then eventually like, obviously the rest is history. He outperformed a two way deal, got a, you know, an actual NBA contract uh, out of it. And, and here we are. So the Lakers are, you know, in, in terms of, you know, late first and second round talent, like they've, they've done pretty well. For sure. At, they have finding that. Yeah. So, so, but the, you know, for those of you who uh, would show interest in what the Lakers might be looking at, uh, check out, check out uh, Jonathan's podcast. Um, again, that's the ringer NBA show that you guys can find that at as well. Well, thank you very much, man, for hopping on. This was an absolute blast. Uh, and I can't wait to talk to you again. All right. Thanks for having me on, man. Anytime.